0: From the inside of Luke's Tauntaun, it's the IGN DigiGuys. And now, two guys who thought you smelled bad on the outside, it's Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. <laughs> the strengthening of... What are you reading? Hold on. Who sent that timely Star Wars intro in? Uh, thank you, Brian Swagel. Brian Swagel. Yes, Brian on the inside of Luke's Tonton. Yes. Wherever that is. Yes. <laughs> I really like that one. From the inside of Luke's Tonton. What are you
1: reading? What were you reading at the beginning of the show? I uh, don't just more 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 Trump stuff.
0: Oh, <laughs> you can't my... you can't get over that. No. Uh, we have got so much this week. It's really kind of insane. Um, so we should we should just uh, let's and, start. Let's start. Let's Might do as, it. Dive right into it. We got so much TV. Oh, should we do TV first? Let's do a TV. We're doing TV first. You know, you know why we have so much TV. This is unbelievable, and I and I don't know really the 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 reasoning behind this. You know, uh, September represents the traditional start of the fall television season, and uh, so for some reason, everybody, even though it's not anymore, really, it's sort of you know it's all year round television. But they and cable and everyone out pay TV, to, they all do it differently. And Netflix doesn't have any, de- you know, whole season. at a time whenever they want. But uh, I don't know. Everybody seems to treat September still as this time when you release gobs of television. And then with gobs of television coming out in September, they release gobs of television of older television, past seasons on DVD and Blu-ray. It doesn't make any sense. You're overloading people. In fact, did you hear that the guy from at the uh, the upfronts in New York last week? The uh, the guy who runs FX said we're we're about we're about at saturation point and everybody's going to start suffering soon because there's just too much TV.
1: Well, there can never be enough good TV.
0: No, but he's saying what he's saying especially is especially if you don't have to watch it live. Too many too many scripted series more than there are than than can justify the amount spent on them to get these these fragmented audience demographics to watch each one.
1: Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like you know if you're if if you're a tiny niche cable network, yeah. You're going to cater to see now. It's no longer it's no longer about getting a show that that appeals to a wide population. Right. The idea is that if you can get a small but rabid following for your show, mm-hmm. that's considered a success.
0: That's how it is now. It's too bad. Gone to the days of bonanza, I guess.
1: Yeah, but but you know what? Why why wouldn't you want? Would you rather have this amazing? I, and I know what you're going to say, but I'll say this anyway. Yeah. Would you rather have like an amazing, kick-ass, unbelievably great? You know, serial killer show mm-hmm. that you know. Let's say Dexter. Right. I'm just saying Dexter. I've never seen Dexter. That you know is people love it, and it really only services maybe a couple million people tops. But it's something that could never be on the net broadcast networks, mm-hmm. and it's it's only good enough to be on pay cable because it's so edgy and so out there and so violent and so great. Would you rather have that, or would you rather have like you know, uh, you know the uh, the streets, uh, the streets of San Francisco,
0: streets of San Francisco. I knew you'd say that. Yeah. Like True Detective, <laughs> True,
1: <laughs> True Detective could not exist on you know CBS or NBC. Okay,
0: no one no
1: one wants to hear you sing. A, no one wants to hear you sing a theme song. Keep going away.
0: Okay, well speaking of old TV, uh, Gene Autry Collection Eleven. Now, Gene Autry, technically not TV per se, but for you know the the, the number of people who first were exposed to Gene Autry on TV far outweighs the number of people who actually saw his movies in theaters. So we're going to treat him as TV, because to me he was TV. So this is uh, four Gene Autry movies. Uh, The Singing Cowboy, Guns and Guitars, Roundup Time in Texas, Springtime in the Rockies. Uh, All of them just straight up kind of silly Singing Cowboy B-movie stuff. Uh, again, better suited to television, and, uh, this comes to us from Timeless, who's doing a lot of this stuff, and, uh, it's, it's, you know, if you're a Gene Autry fan, it'll, it'll just tickle the cockles of your heart, whatever that means. Uh, but uh, more specifically, as far as television, real made-for-television Western stuff, the complete series, all 76 episodes of The Rebel, um... Really, a, a show that I had heard about at a certain point was somewhat familiar with because it, it was kind of in there with Wagon Train and Daniel Boone and and that whole uh, that whole scene when uh, when you know television westerns were all the rage. The Rifleman, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, what are some other was from that era? You remember any others?
1: Rifleman. Uh, yeah. You mean like oh, like World War II stuff like Gunsmoke?
0: No, no, just just uh, no no western stuff. Just oh, western, western stuff. just western stuff. Anyway, Have Gun Will Travel. Yeah, Have Gun Will Travel, that's another one. Star uh, Wars? No, not really. Uh, well, anyway, this is the uh, this is the story of Johnny Yuma. What a great name, right? Johnny Yuma is a uh, former Confederate soldier, not something that's all that popular anymore, and uh, this is just about a guy who is... Uh, it's really a kind of a very introspective show, surprisingly introspective, a uh, guy who had been a Confederate soldier, and he's just wandering the West, looking for, you know, the... You know, people to defend, things to do, kind of like the Incredible Hulk. It's got kind of a a hulky vibe to it, Uh, except he doesn't turn into a big green Lou Ferrigno. But um, he's just trying to get the Civil War out of his out of his system. He's just trying to get that all that hell out of his mind and out of his system. And lots of great. guest stars from the uh, from the era show up in this thing including leonard nimoy and robert vaughn robert vaughn all the rage again now that people realize that he is the one and only napoleon solo and that that the army hammer doesn't even come close not an army hammer the other guy army hammer plays uh, uh, uh henry cavill henry, henry cavill doesn't even come close so anyway uh 76 episodes of the rebel uh starring nick adams as johnny yuma uh interesting show uh one that i had only heard of and now i got to experience and i actually like it dig it
1: Wait, uh, Elementary is a show on CBS that just keeps going. Uh, I don't know who watches the show. The show is fine, I guess. It's uh, it's kind of a nouveau Sherlock Holmes thing where Johnny Lee Miller plays uh, a modern Sherlock Holmes yeah. in New York, and Lucy Lou plays a kind Watson. of Watson. Who plays Watson? Watson. And uh, Lucy Liu looks, still looks pretty good. She's got to be in her late forties. She's got some work done, but she's still very beautiful. Um, you know what? This is one of those CBS shows. Like, uh, who was the one with Simon Baker? Remember the moment, Simon uh, Baker, the, the fixture, the closer, the something or other. It's yeah, like who yeah, are yeah, they? Yeah, these yeah. shows are so. All these CBS shows are really generic, man. There's nothing going on there. Yeah,
0: the, the problem for this show is that that, as far as sort of neo Sherlock Holmesy things go, um, the the whole you know Benedict Cumberbatch deal so far outshines it. All the British stuff so far outshines it that it just doesn't really have any any traction anymore.
1: Also, we have uh, anyway. That was season three of Elementary, and I dare you to buy it. Season ten of uh, criminal minds. Uh I st- the only reason why I have any interest in the show is because it gives Joe Montaigne work.
0: He's I'm- so good. I mean,
1: we all love Joe Montana. Anyways, Joe uh this thing just keeps going again. Uh it's just another CBS show that's a little bit of cut above the other ones, but um really just a function of the performances. Thomas Gibson's in it, Joe Montaigne of course is in it. And uh, Shamar Moore, who uh he's kind of re he's kind of um reinvented himself from a uh, from a soap opera guy to kind of a decent, you know, prime time leading manish type. So criminal minds, you know, it's it's a better cut of bad meat, I guess. Season ten of that. We also have the sixth season with the good wife. This thing keeps going, although it's kind of it's starting to uh, slip a little bit. I mean, um Juliana Margulies, she has won two Emmy Awards for it. So, you know, people are really latching on to it's her. all about
0: her. It's all about her. It really
1: is all about her. I yeah. mean Chris Noth is in it. and He's always She's just good. Great. And uh, Christine Bransky, who always annoys the hell out of me, uh, don't like her, but she's in this too. Alan Cumming is in it. Um, they're glad; they should be glad to have Alan Cumming. So uh, this is season six. Uh, special features include a uh, uh, couple featurettes, some deleted scenes, and uh, gag reels. So if you're into The Good Wife, season six is for you. The Walking Dead. I think uh, I'm 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 going to call it Wade. The Walking Dead will last two more seasons.
0: Really, you think that's it? I. Uh, I nowhere did. else for it to go?
1: Well here's the thing. It's it I, I you know, they there there's a um there's a prequel series.
0: It's never been my scene, the uh, Walking Dead. I well, know you, I know people like Corey loves it and a lot of people love it. I I never I've never gotten a
1: deal. You know, there's a prequel series called Fear the Walking Dead, which was so boring the first episode which I saw, um, they really gotta pick that thing up. It takes place before the before the zombies came. This one, The Walking Dead for the season, um, I feel like it's going to start to kind of grind a little bit. It's really feeling like it's starting to grind now. Um, I mean, how many zombie stories can you can you tell? Uh, but still, people still like it, and it still does well. So I would check out uh, Walking Dead for the season, or wait two seasons, and get the full, complete series box
0: set. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's right what on. you should do. It, which is not going to be far off if it only lasts two more seasons.
1: <laughs> I, that's just my guess I, I,
0: well, because I, 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 I feel
1: like it's starting to become ever a grind, since Darabon you know?
0: ever since Darabon left it feels
1: he left really early on the fact yeah. is that the show kept going and, and God love it because I, I look I, I love zombie stuff I'm all about zombie stuff I totally get it I was never super into The Walking Dead because there weren't enough zombies it was like people falling in love and walking down empty streets and I was like you know what I just don't care anyway there you go
0: all right, so uh, Disney just insists on inflicting their, their fairy tale obsessions on us in all possible forms. And uh, one of those forms, of course, is uh, Once Upon a Time, uh, which is not per se Disney. It's, it's an ABC show, and it's, uh, it's very dark, and it's convoluted, and it's confusing, and lots of people love it, and I still don't get it. Uh, honestly, I have watched far more of this show than I care to admit. My mother-in-law loves it. Now, this is my mother-in-law, mind you. God love her. But this is my mother-in-law who will literally turn to you seven or eight times in the middle of, like, my dinner with Andre to make sure that she still understands what's going on. Okay? Like, did, 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 let me just want to understand it. Yeah, it's two guys talking at a table. There's nothing to follow. It's just two guys talking at a table. You're not going to get lost in this plot. It's not, it's not a Bunuel film. There are no flashbacks within flashbacks. And there, 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 there's nothing to – no, nobody's throwing you a curveball. It's just – two guys talking at a table and yet once upon a time which uh, to save my life i have no idea what's going on i've watched it about a a 20 or 30 episodes and i just i can't i can't figure out what's going on or why it makes no sense to me and she follows this as if it was like the most linear thing in the world so different brains i guess anyway uh so this is season four once upon a time I you know what i I guess I understand why people love it. I actually enjoy the extras a lot more because i don't they're easier to follow um and there's there's a whole frozen thing uh tied in with this, and uh i'll I'll be damned if I can actually uh quite figure it out anyway uh, Maleficent and uh, Cruella Deville are all part of this deal, and they are also part of the deal in The Descendants, Disney's Descendants, um, which is a uh, a D- Disney Channel thing for kids and uh here you've got uh, Kristen Chenoweth playing uh you know the basically they're the kids of Maleficent and uh, Cruella De Vil and the Jafar and all the all the Disney all the evil Disney villains. Anyway, uh they're all trying to uh, take over the world for their parents basically. So, it's, it, it, you know, it's kind of like they're going, it's sort of like if your parents are watching Once Upon a Time, and you don't really understand what's going on, your parents can throw on descendants, and then the whole family is sucked into the whole Disney fairy tale princess industrial complex, and you'll all go out and buy stuff for each other from the Disney store. I don't know what the plan is, but anyway, that that appears to be uh, the deal. and. Uh, Descendants not to be confused with the Alexander Payne film with uh, George Clooney which is outstanding is directed by Kenny Ortega who just keeps doing Disney stuff because I guess they're the only ones that give him any, any work but that's the same Kenny Ortega of course who started his relationship with Disney doing what Mark? Do you remember? No. He directed Newsies. Newsies? He directed Newsies. And uh, before I unleash Mark on you again, we have the eleventh season of Grey's Anatomy. Oh my gosh, how I loved this show for the first three or four seasons. And honestly, I just don't know wh- how, how they've kept this thing going for eleven years. I don't know. I don't know how some of these shows keep going this long. I don't. I don't know how you go this long without recycling stuff. Eleven years. I, 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 you know, I stopped watching it rich, uh, religiously. At really, after about the f- when it kind of moved away from Sundays, which was maybe three or four years, and uh, I'll I'll try to get into it every once in a while when we get a new season on DVD. And um, I got to tell you, I it just doesn't. It, it still doesn't hang together for me ever since it ever since about season five. It just it's on fumes. But anyway, there it is, uh, the 11th season, uh, and apparently it's going to get uh, – is, is is next year the last – is this season the last one? Have they announced that it's the last of, for Grey's Anatomy or, it, or is it just the last for him? Can't, for can't end Dempsey. soon enough. Can't well, anyway, end soon enough. Can't end soon enough. All right. There we go.
1: <laughs> uh, Wade, you know, uh, uh, when uh, J.K. Rowling writes a book, it's automatically going to be made into a movie, a TV show, comic book, video game, something, everything. Here we have The Casual Vacancy. This was a three-episode miniseries on HBO, and now it's on Blu-ray. And I have to say uh, it's not that great. You know, the book, which I did not read. Uh, Does that have anything to do with Harry Potter?
0: No. Nothing Harry Potter about it. No,
1: it is modern. It's a modern tale. Takes place in this uh, idyllic English village. But uh, what's going on underneath the surface in this idyllic? Is there uh, anything magic?
0: Magic wizards? It's magical. How
1: it's magical how bored I was watching uh, all the uh, all the uh, the parents and all the adults act like silly buffoons, and the teenagers uh, you know act like you know the normal people. Um, Obviously, there's a lot here that has to do with class distinctions and. Social justice and whatnots. So, uh, the idea that you set a movie in a community that looks very peaceful and idyllic on the surface, but actually underneath it, there's you know other stuff going on. That's like as old as the hills, man. You got to do better than that. So, uh, it does have a good cast. Michael Gambon is in it. Who doesn't love Michael Gambon? I love Michael Gambon. He's he, he he's the Gamboniist.
0: He's a hambone Gambone. Good job. I don't know what that means. I
1: don't know what it means either. Um, anyway, so the, the 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 book was not very well received, generally speaking. I think people just want her for Harry Potter, and that's it. Yeah. But uh, you know, I have to say that the writers. It seems as if, from what I know, because I did not read the book. It seems as if the uh, two folks who wrote the book took a lot of liberty with the material, which I guess is their right because, you know, a book is a book and a movie is a movie. But um, I just think that if this didn't have J.K. Rowling's name on it, you wouldn't really care as much. So uh, only the super Rowling completists should care about the casual vacancy. Otherwise, forget it. Speaking of forget it, we also have Rookie Blue. It's another one of those stupid shows that just kind of like – it's just another show. Somehow this thing has lasted five seasons, and they even have the gall. Star Trek only
0: lasted three seasons, and we have some of the, these these shows go on for six, seven, eight, nine years. They even with have ratings the, that are like a fraction of what Star Trek's were.
1: They even have the gall to break this up into 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 uh, volumes. I know. Season one, season five, volume one, folks. Yeah. You will now be ignoring on DVD. Uh, it's about this uh, these officers, and uh, there's uh, there's lesbians, and there's other lovers, and there's crimes. I just stop it. Leave it alone. Oh, crap. Anyway, person of interest. This thing keeps going, man. This thing just keeps going. This is another CBS show that uh, had a bunch of pedigree because it was created co-created by J.J. Abrams. And uh, it has a good cast, including uh, Jim Caviezel. Love him. Can't not love him. But otherwise, I just think I just don't see anybody really plugging into this thing. I don't know how it keeps going. Obviously, as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. sometimes all you need for these shows is a rabid, small, but rabid audience to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Right. And this may be what person of interest has because otherwise it's uh, don't care.
0: All right, Mark. I'm going to curse the day that CSI ever came on the air. You know why I'm cursing it?
1: Because you don't like things.
0: No, because CSI was the first show that did, it inspired this idea of, hey, if it works in this city, we can push it to this city and we can push it out. We can just keep expanding it. We can brand this thing into, into 950 different casts. Now, technically, we could argue that Star Trek was the first one that did that. We, we could make that case. But each one of those Star Trek shows kind of was, you know, su- substantially different in orientation. It wasn't just a bunch of different people in a different spaceship in a different suit. They were a little bit different. It wasn't like, oh, CSI this, CSI that, CSI. Next thing, Law and Order, blah, 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 blah. Law and Order this, Law and Order that, Law and Order this. And the latest one in that is NCIS. Um, I love Mark Harmon. I think Mark Harmon's great. Uh, the, the C- NCIS, which stands for Naval Criminal Investigative Service... Is, is a decent one of those shows. Uh, you know, he's the, he's the right guy to hold it down. And you know what? Honestly, I mean, the 12th season, which is out now on Blu-ray as a, as a Best Buy exclusive uh, with a bonus DVD, uh, of, which has featurettes and a bunch of other stuff on it. Um, uh, you know what? It's perfectly fine. It's one of those pretty casts. It's just—it's a pretty cast, and Mark Harmon is good, and he holds it down. And it's got the whole military angle; it's a little bit different. And fine, it looks good on Blu-ray. And fair enough, twelve years—they've been able to keep that sucker going uh, in, in an amazing way. But do we really need NCIS Los Angeles? Really? Yes, we do. Six years of NCIS Los Angeles—is that—is that doing anyone any good with yes, with, with uh, Chris O'Donnell and LL Cool J doing doing the NCIS thing in Los Gives Angeles? Gives a lot of people work. Okay, fine. Six years of this—I—it's just you know, it, it doesn't do anything that NCIS doesn't do better. So if you're a fan of NCIS, I don't know what NCIS Los Angeles does other than to whet your appetite in the middle of the week until the next NCIS. It's your midweek fix or whatever. That said, Mark, God help us. We also now have NCIS New Orleans, the first season. Come on. Seriously? You. you, you here's
1: why. The reason why there's NCIS New Orleans is because... There's there's something, I don't know if it's in the Constitution of the United States, but somehow Scott Bakula needs to work.
0: Oh, gosh, heaven help us. TV needs to
1: somehow give Scott Bakula something to do.
0: Uh, I mean, he's the guy. He inherits, like, what, the the ninth Star Trek series? He's way down on the Star Trek line. Now he's third third down on the NCIS Mm -hmm. line. Correct. He's the go to guy. When you're when you're when you're several generations down and you want to make sure that it rides, you just throw the guy on who's been on TV pretty much every season of some show for the last 27 years.
1: Yes, is here comes it? here comes Scott Bakula. Okay, he's
0: ready right to roll. He's ready right to roll. You know that 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 guy was uh, Robert Conrad for a long time. Like every year, there was a Robert Conrad series. Which reminds me, there are several Robert Conrad series that all lasted only a season that I would like to have on DVD. Why is no one putting out the Duke? Do you remember the Duke? No. You remember the Duke? Larry no. Minetti. It was Larry Minetti was on this right before he went on to Magnum P.I. It was Robert Conrad and Larry Minetti on the Duke. He played a boxer in, uh, in Chicago. Great theme song. Great opening with the L. The, the bell rings like it's a you know boxing ring. And it's this great kind of you know, uh, Bill Conti theme. It was a good show, the Duke.
1: I produced Robert Conrad on a talk show once. He was super cool. Really super nice guy. Super
0: cool. And then there was, uh, then there was uh, the, 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 the spy thing where he's like the James Bondy guy. He yeah, Melly to- Mel Steve goes into the toy store does and he takes it the get elevator smart, down. Really? Kind of, sort of a get smarty thing. Yeah, he had a cool car. I don't yeah, know. I don't remember well, the name of that? Well,
1: you're, you're way more into Robert Conrad than even Robert Conrad's family <laughs> is into Robert Conrad.
0: <laughs> I suppose, maybe, or something. Anyway. Okay, Are we still uh, doing TV, Wade? we're still doing TV. We're still doing TV. It's a oh ton of TV. You why is there so much? Okay,
1: you know what? Here, you plow through this. Here we go. <laughs> Mike and Molly, fifth season. I don't know why this thing keeps going. When uh, when uh, what's her name is uh, uh, Melissa McCarthy is so damn hilarious and everything she does. Yes, I love her. She's
0: fantastic.
1: You see Spy? It's great. Yeah, it's great. I loved it. It's I Hilarious. Haven't it. I
0: haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting it's for the Blu-ray. Hilarious. It's so good, you'd love yeah, it. I'm sure I will. It's great. Uh,
1: so Mike and Molly keeps going. Uh, I, you know what? I'd rather have Melissa McCarthy make an extra movie a year than do another season of Mike and Molly. Two broke girls. This thing, boy, this it's just another. It's you know it's just another CBS show. This the it's it's a, it's very much like that hacky humor that uh, that the um,
0: uh, Melly Mel Steve. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know uh, the uh, Big Bang Theory. Yeah, it's that really it. hacky Big Bang Theory. This one. You know, it's it's very cleverly crafted. Again, it's like the like that early mid twenties, just out of college. I have to support myself as a waitress, kind of vibe. You know, it's it resonates with the younger you. folks. Yep. But it's just a lot of hack humor, and uh, I was really hoping Kat Dennings would become something great in the movies. But she in is the in the en- Thor
0: films, huh? She is in the Thor films. She gets, she's she the, was she, no,
1: she was in the she was in uh, the first one. Yeah, was she in the second one?
0: Uh, isn't she? Maybe, I can't she, even maybe remember. She was. She, She's the she's the quipmeister. Yeah, I know. She's the, she's the quippy character. You know, it's, that's a stock character in Hollywood movies now. Is you need you need someone. It has to it, preferably a nerdy guy or a nerdy girl. Neither of them can be too attractive, but they both have to be charming enough that if they get somebody to love them, you the audience will buy it. And they're the quipmeisters. They're the ones who uh, always have something a little bit uh, sardonic to say.
1: Lame, anyway. Uh, Blacklist season two. Blacklist one of those shows, the NBC show, where. Um, you know, season three is going to premiere. It's gonna Isn't happen.
0: amazing how he just keeps – this is a guy who, I mean, honestly, truly keeps reinventing himself as a TV figure in the strangest ways. Eh, good friend. James Spader. I just I, – it's, it's really odd to me how he does that. He's become that guy.
1: Now, season three has been delayed a week, but it's still going to obviously uh, – it's still going to happen. Uh, my thing with, with Blacklist is that season three, it, it's, it, it's either going to – if season three is not a great season, the show is going to just start to fade. Because season three is that crucial season where either it takes off and becomes the greatest thing ever, and it lasts for six, seven, eight seasons, or it just sort of starts to fade. Um, so anyway, and there's been some character changes on it too, by the way. So that might piss off some viewers, some loyal viewers. In season three, we'll see. Um, Robert Greenblatt said some stuff at the uh, at the TCA's about uh, some characters changing their. Changing their occupations and whatnot, so mixing it up and mid run like that is a little bit is a little bit uh, risky, but we'll see what happens. People love the show mainly because of James Spader, so uh, it could work. So there you go, blacklist season two.
0: Uh, we've got uh, the secret life of Marilyn Monroe, which is a uh, a lifetime thing. Uh, honestly, at this point, so many actresses have played Marilyn Monroe, so many actors have played uh, the Kennedys on television. I you could almost just. You could almost build up a card game based on all the actors who have played uh, those parts alone and see and, and play mix and match. It's crazy. Uh, this is completely unnecessary, but you know, so is most of the stuff that airs on lifetime. So as far as lifetime stuff goes, it's like upper tier, not great. Um, it, it, el- it is elevated immensely by the fact that uh, it has Susan Sarandon in it uh, playing Marilyn Monroe 's mother, and the very good Jeffrey Dean Morgan playing uh, Joe DiMaggio. Uh, but otherwise, this thing just is not great. Kelly Garner, I've never heard of. She plays Marilyn Monroe. Um, it's just you know, it's just more of the same. We've seen this stuff a million times. So strictly for, for you know Marilyn Monroe buffs, um, Power Rangers, Lightspeed Rescue, the complete series. I don't. I've lost track of how many Power Rangers series there are. And in point of fact, they're all the same. They really are all the same. The only thing that makes this interesting is that it has it has a villain who goes by the name of Diabolico now.
1: Like Hispanic. Sounds Hispanic. I am a Diabolico.
0: Well, it's... it's, Maybe Italian. it's, It's... It's... Kind of obvious, diabolico. Anyway, forty episodes. Uh, it's a you know, it's just another Power Rangers thing. It's a it's it's marginally different from the others, but it pretty much follows formula. Uh, and then a couple from the old classic era of television, the one that Mark and I mourn for, that we long for, that we yearn for, uh, the Jeffersons, and Welcome Back, Cotter. This is season eight of the Jeffersons. With Sherman Hemsley and Isabel Sanford and, of course, the great Gabriel Kaplan in the final season of Welcome Gabriel
1: Back. Gabriel Kaplan. Kaplan? Who calls Ga- him Gabriel Kaplan? I call
0: him Gabriel. He and I, we, that's how we refer to each other. Uh, I'm not going to call him Gabe. He's like a champion poker player now. I, I'm going to call him that's Gabriel. That's all anyone
1: calls him is Gabe.
0: I'm going to call him Gabriel. Seems like a different person. Isn't it, well, isn't that funny?
1: Gabriel like, Kaplan. Have
0: you, ever, have you ever tried calling uh, our, our Andy Klein Andrew? Have you ever called him Andrew? Andrew Klein. It's, it's the funniest reaction in the world. Call him Andrew next time you see him. Go, Andrew. <laughs> do it I swear you, you have eat? to
1: now will he not like it or just not answer to you it you have to do it Okay,
0: fine. you have to do it you have to do it it's, it'll it'll be priceless anyway uh, yes so the final season of Welcome Back Cotter which is actually quite good uh, these, these shows you know sometimes ran out of steam in their last few years and you could feel them on fumes and Completely running out of ideas, and you could tell that the uh, the writing staff was just shattering and and, uh, and completely in transition to other shows. But uh, this one wasn't. This is still part of that great '70s era. This show knew exactly when to uh, when to make its exit, and everybody was going on to do other things. Especially Travolta, who you know uh, would go on to be. He'd already made movies. He'd already done uh, you know Grease and uh, and uh, Saturday Night Fever. So he was the man. Uh, and the Jeffersons, of course, season eight is actually running a little bit thin, but still good. It's still a good year. So uh, I would recommend both of these. If you're not, you know, if you don't already have the full seasons, if you're uh, the full series, if you're still going season by season, definitely invest in some good 70s television when times were good.
1: Wait, we're still doing television. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. Hey. Okay, we have uh, America's Test Kitchen. I, I love this disc because I love all the America's Test Kitchen discs. This is a 26 episodes on four DVDs. Um, as you... Probably can guess. I tend to like the recipes that are more dessert-based, and uh, we do get some here, though not as much as I would have liked. Which again is not the fault of the DVD. Uh, I've not made anything from this because an almond cake is fine. Um, gluten? They do. There's a thing here for gluten-free cookies, and I, the whole gluten-free thing is, I think, a bunch of crap. I mean, honestly, you know, for 2,000 years, mankind has been just fine with gluten. There's no gluten-free anything. You know, no. stop that. I mean, there, there's this gluten-free bakery near me that all, it has gluten-free stuff and non-gluten-free stuff. And I walk in there, and the guy says, uh, so this is our gluten-free style. I'm like, you know what? I want extra gluten. I want so much gluten that it comes out of my ears because I yeah. think the whole gluten-free thing is – unless you're allergic. I mean, if you're allergic to it, of course, that's different. But the whole idea that now there's no gluten, who cares? We've been just fine. You think George Washington cared about gluten? Uh, Abraham Lincoln,
0: maybe. maybe, Right. Maybe.
1: Winston Churchill cared about gluten. I don't know. Nobody cares about gluten. I don't
0: know. Since
1: when did that become a thing?
0: I don't even know what gluten is. I
1: don't know what it is either. Stop that. All right. MythBusters. MythBusters. That just that show just keeps going. This is the thirteenth MythBusters uh, DVD. 13 um, 13 Seriously? Yeah, some of these things are fun. Like here, they—they—they—I they, won't tell you what happened, but there's this thing that they have about uh, whether you can, like, with like balloons. If you attach enough balloons to your car, will it protect you in a car crash? What? I thought that was kind of cute. What? Yeah. And like, like, what? Uh, like, uh, uh, like, they, they did a thing here too, where, where uh, they tried to make lasagna. They tried to make lasagna in a dishwasher. What? They did. Mythbusters. Now, I'm not sure that was a myth. Never heard that one
0: before. They're just, they're just inventing myths to do weird things on the show. So
1: what? It's just, sometimes it's kind of fun. Anyway, finally we have. Uh, I, I defy anybody to buy this. This is uh, the explosive third season of Kendra on Top. Kendra <laughs> Wilkinson was a girl next door, and she has uh, since gone on to uh, great heights as a woman who was cheated on uh, by her husband oh with a God. transvestite. <laughs> and now, of course, because uh, she needs money. And he, uh, he, he's a...
0: Can't she marry Rob Kardashian so we can merge the shows? Exactly. Oh, you
1: know what? How, how about just go away? How about just do nothing?
0: I, that would be preferable, how but I'm that? not sure we can, we can make that happen.
1: Anyway, so this season three of this crappy show, which airs on uh, Wii, which is the only uh, network uh, uh, slumming enough that would actually hire her for anything. Uh, it's all about, uh, you know, trying to get back together with Hank and uh, going to therapy and uh, she's got a kid and all their struggles. And I just really – if anybody wants to defend this show, Kendra on top, season three, gods at digigods.com. Because honestly, people, stop it.
0: All right. We've got a f- uh, three docs here to go through uh, super fast. the uh, Banksy, the legendary gorilla artist, uh, is the subject of Banksy Does New York which they are calling a user generated film. Anyway, this uh, this goes to the this is basically the month of October 2013 when Banksy began what he called uh, a residency in New York where uh, he was putting up a, a literally a like a, a one gorilla exhibit each day, and nobody knew where it was going to happen and it, it just it, be, it just became this like crazy mad 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 world search for banksy 's uh, daily exhibit uh, really just an incredibly fascinating thing now banksy everybody knows who banksy is now because he 's been arrested so banksy 's identity is 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 public and i honestly i couldn 't even tell you what his real name is anymore because it 's like nobody cares who he really is everyone knows he 's banksy. Uh, but anyway, this is uh, this is fascinating. And Banksy, for a moment, uh, hit a few places in L.A. Uh, about what? About five years ago, was it when Banksy did a few few? He nailed a few places in L.A. And it was oh, yeah. like, oh my gosh, yep. Banksy's been here. It was it was kind of cool. Like, hey, he thought of us. But uh, anyway, uh, really interesting, uh, fascinating look at you know the way that that uh, you know the line between graffiti and guerrilla art, and is it is it vandalism? Is it art? Is it a statement? Is it political? Is it really art? Really interesting subject. And then the uh, other one I have here is uh, Blu-ray of Albert Maysles' *Iris*. Even without his brother, Albert Maysles is an amazing filmmaker. Uh, he, he, you know, you're looking basically at an 88-year-old documentarian making a movie about a 93-year-old legend of the New York style scene, and it's a great film. And I was not familiar with uh, Iris Apfel uh, before seeing this, but after you see this, you you just realize what an amazing, cool, weird, funky, and totally rightfully influential figure she is. This is from Magnolia. It is a terrific Blu-ray. Mark.
1: Wade, uh, gotta uh, gotta recommend Citizen Four.
0: Hey, the Oscar winner.
1: The Oscar winner.
0: And it was our our LaFKA Award winner.
1: Yes, it was. This is uh, of course um, a documentary all about Edward uh, Snowden, the uh, whistleblower.
0: It's basically the, the, the it's the interview sessions. I mean, it's the it's the it, whole. It, it's like a dude in a hotel room. Yeah. It's like
1: Edward Snowden in a hotel room for
0: spilling his guts both to yes. Lara Poitras and to uh, Glenn Greenwald.
1: Yes, and, and but but they also have these these wonderful uh he's on the phone kind of like talking very edgy urgent real stuff because he's actually talking on the phone really making history on the phone in in that that hotel room in in that that moment moment, while the cameras are rolling it's great so this is great stuff it's uh it's beautifully crafted it's gripping it's urgent it's uh i just thought it was a terrific film it's a very important film uh citizen four all i can say is if you haven't heard of it then uh, what's wrong with you If you have heard of it and you haven't seen it, it's now on Blu-ray, so I would definitely check out the 2014 Oscar winner for Best Documentary, Citizen 4. There's some special features here, including deleted scenes, and a talk with uh, Laura Poitras and Glenn Greenwald, and uh, yeah, got to check that out. Citizen 4.
0: Bravo. We're going to talk about new movies. I've got a few of those this week before we get into our our huge backlog of uh, classic films. And uh, I got a little one here called Where Hope Grows, which has one of those uh, dove.org seals on it, which means it's faith-friendly, ages 12 plus.
1: Lame. Um, the, the, the moment I see something that's dove-friendly –
0: I know garbage. Yeah, I know. You know what? It ain't bad. And and I'll say this: the one thing that the that that uh, these so-called faith-based films have been doing and, and is trying to sort of crawl out of this ghetto that was created for them years ago, which is that you know we got no money to make them, we got no money to market them, uh, so we'll just sort of have people mention them and we'll show them to church groups, and and you know somewhere we'll make our money back through from in the in the Bible Belt, and that's how a lot of these things. Uh, worked until you started having uh, movies like Courageous and Fireproof and a lot of these crossover things, which... Um, they're all still kind of formulaic in the sense where there's somebody who doesn't have anything going on in their life and then they find somebody who takes them to church and they suddenly find that you know there's, there's more to life and they stop drinking and they stop carousing and, and then they, you know, and, and their life turns around. And it's, that's exactly the formula that the, the target audience wants to see, but they're putting better casts in them, they're hiring better actors, they're hiring better directors, they're actually going to people who've made movies before. And um, the scripts are slowly improving... Uh, there's not a lot of diversity yet in the uh, in the field, but um, they're getting better. And uh, this one, is, it's not bad. I mean, it thanks mainly to a cast of real actors who do a pretty decent job. And and the, the fact that you have a guy here, a lot of these are, you know, like mainly uh, pro athletes or, or retired pro athletes who are just, you know, on a, on a downward spiral drinking too much or whatever. And that's the same one here is this guy. He's a former baseball player, and, you know, he's on the, he's on the, he's on the bad path and uh, – He basically uh, forms a friendship with a kid at the market who has Down syndrome. And as as much as that sounds like, oh, my gosh, that's the most cloying, obvious thing in the world, what a bunch of saccharine crap, Um, they don't play it that way. And the fact that they were able to pull it off is written and directed by Chris Dowling, who I'm not very familiar with, but pulling that off is not is not an easy trick and without being saccharine and cloying. So it's still formula. It's still you know primarily for that audience. But ultimately, I was I was shocked at how sort of uh, how this actually kind of worked and it worked better than these films usually do. Um, and uh, the, there's an audio commentary with uh, Chris Dowling and actor David DeSantis, uh, which is perfectly charming. So uh, yeah, I, I'm you know if you're a fan of this particular genre, I would say it's it's worth checking out. If you're not you know, wait for something more crossover to show up.
1: Wait, Nicholas Cage keeps making movies because he's got a bunch of uh, tax debt he's got to pay back.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: And uh, his latest one is The Runner. And The Runner is probably one of the, I guess it's one of the better paycheck movies he's done, although it's really still not very good. It's it's all based around the uh, 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, and um, Cage plays a Louisiana congressman who's, uh, you know, trying to juggle the spill with some personal crises, family crises. And, uh, you know, the, the the thing with this movie is that it, it means well, and that's fine, but it's a very – it's a script that's very heavy on meaningless exposition. You know, the characters are really thinly drawn, and they're just really there, just as chess pieces to kind of move around this plot. You don't really care about anybody um, – you know the the guy who wrote it and directed it's his first film Austin Stark he's got a lot to juggle here simply can't do it um, it's predictable it's too thinly drawn I just uh, you know it's a very self serious almost solemn movie that really does it, it it needed to be written if not directed at least written by somebody with uh, a lot more ability to juggle serious themes and uh, and really. Get in depth on uh, some of these issues, family issues, and also political issues, and Austin Stark is just not that guy. So I would pass on the runner. And then uh, before Wade talks about one of the most misbegotten films of the year, <laughs> we have Samuel Jackson in Big Game. Now Samuel Jackson, now look who doesn't love Samuel Jackson, right? But you know what? He's got. I. I. Sometimes he does a lot of stuff that's just lame. I know. You know, people. That's. You know, we we haven't talked about this in a while, but that's one of the beauties of, of the AF, of, of AFM. Yeah, is that you get to realize all the films, the that crappy ev- <laughs> films that your favorite stars do that you will never see because they'll go straight to DVD. They'll get released overseas. They won't get released at all. Mm. And uh, Big Game with Sam Jackson is uh, is one of them. Takes place in Finland. And uh, you know, I just got to say, unless Sam Jackson wanted a free trip to Finland, I just don't see it. I mean, who doesn't love Victor Garber, Felicity Huffman, Jim Broadbent's in this, and that's fine. Um, so. You know, the cast is good, and who doesn't want to see Sam Jackson play the president of the United States? So, but still, it's just ridiculous.
0: You seen the trailer for Burnt, the uh, the Weinstein film with Bradley Cooper as the uh, Michelin chef in Paris? You um, seen, that? I, seen that? trailer?
1: I have not seen the trailer because it's it seems so uninteresting to me that I just don't. I looked at I looked at that thing. I'm like. Bradley Cooper, what are you doing? Where are you going? What's your deal?
0: Unbelievable. It is a gr- it looks so good. Really? It looks so good. Had I, read to watch the, it. I looked I, I and I I looked, I read the synopsis. I did the same thing. I read the synopsis and I thought, really? This just sounds so unbelievable. directed it. It sounds so unbelievably uninteresting. Directed by John Wells.
1: Oh, that was it. That's yeah. that's how it got my yeah. attention. And you know I- what? John Wells.
0: He can, he, can, he can bring he, it. He there, can. There's something there. There's he something there. He hasn't put it all has, together yet. Not quite yet, but this may be the one. Uh, but the thing that really attracted me, it's written by Stephen Knight.
1: Really? Yeah. Well, now I gotta watch
0: it. Right. Okay. Flaw. So, so I look. I was John Wells good, and then Stephen Knight. I was like, Ooh, yeah. That's yeah, good. You know, Dirty Pretty Things. Yeah. And and. and uh, the lock. And lock. And I'm like, okay. Now now. Oh, there's I didn't
1: something. see that. Yeah.
0: Right. So now, now
1: I feel bad. I passed on. And
0: I'm like, okay. And you know, Weinstein Company and Bradley Cooper, who's on a total roll. And I'm like, all right, yeah. And then I remembered, oh, but Bradley Cooper also did Aloha. Yeah, but you know, no, 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 about now.
1: no, Bradley Cooper did not do Aloha. He yeah. did. Aloha he, did him. He, exactly. <laughs> he did a, a Cameron Crowe film.
0: Yeah, basically. Well, like he wanted
1: to work with Cameron Crowe, I'm sure.
0: That brings us to this. Hopefully, burnt will erase this from people's memory. Um the trailer for Aloha was not bad. It basically was an interesting attempt at taking a single scene from the film, or most, uh, the, at least the first part of the trailer was a single scene, which was very funny with all this quiet, and you, you know, you had Alec Baldwin, and there was some yelling, and oh, it was funny, it was good. And then um, this, mo- the movie came out, and everyone, re- and first of all, the Sony leak happened. Yeah, and you know, Sony who else didn't like
1: the movie. You know, who else didn't like the movie. Yeah, Amy Pascal, yeah. she didn't like the movie. She either. didn't
0: like the movie either. And and you know, when the Sony leak happened, everyone realized, oh, this is a troubled film. They did it. it the the emails were scathing. The script didn't work, and all this stuff, and um, the movie just bombed. And I got to believe that this is like the end of Cameron Crow. I just don't know. I mean, he has been, he has just been on such a straight stinker for for like a decade now.
1: He should do an HBO miniseries. He
0: won. Well, let me tell you something. What happened? I, I've kind of tried to put this together, and I hate to psychoanalyze filmmakers and actors and whatnot, but there's some interesting stuff that's going on, and um, Cameron Crowe won an oscar career peak right with uh, with almost famous and then he made a remake with vanilla sky which was a total paycheck gig that was not a cameron crowe film that was a remake of a of a great uh, uh, spanish film open your eyes and he here he is with tom cruise and it's almost like the oscar and fame and now he is seduced to do something completely outside his wheelhouse at the same time after many years, he was then married to Nancy Wilson of Hart. They had tried for many years to have kids. Uh, I think they did fertility and all this stuff and, and wound up having twins. And around about the same time that Vanilla Sky tanks, and uh, it was a few years later then that the, the whole family thing, the guy who couldn't grow up, right, Cameron Crowe, the, the eternal teenager, the marriage goes on the rocks and they get divorced, he hasn't made a good film since. So somewhere in there, he's lost his mojo. I don't know if it's the family thing, the kid thing, the age thing, the fame thing, the Oscar thing. But somewhere all these things have completely derailed the guy who did Say Anything, who, did, who wrote Fast Times, who you know, it, you did know Singles and, and Almost Famous and all these cool movies. It's just he's not on his game anymore. It,
1: it, you know, it seems like he's, he's being seduced to, to material that does not play to his strengths.
0: He's trying to be – he's doing the thing that I hate when filmmakers do, which is he's trying to be the person that people want him to be instead of just be the person that you are because that changes year to year. You know, Stanley Kubrick was never – Stanley Kubrick in, in his later years was never going to be like, oh, they want me to do 2001 again. I guess I'll try – no, he was like, I did that. I'm going to do something else. And you're just, you know, now I'm a 65, 70-year-old guy. I'm going to do what I'm going to do and you know, screw you if you don't like it. And, and, you know, you sort of have to have that attitude. You just got to personalize these things. But the, people are so afraid of failure that oftentimes it becomes a self-fulfilling thing. Anyway, um, you know what? The fact that Emma Stone plays someone who's, like, half Swedish or, what, a third Swedish, quarter Welsh and half Hawaiian, whatever it is that yeah. she is, it, that, that's, like, the least of this film's problems. People jumped all over this. Oh, my gosh, Emma Stone doesn't – she's not Hawaiian. This is, like, this is, like, blackface. It's like, you know what? Honestly, truly, if you're going to rip on this film – that's, that's maybe number 27. <laughs> that's way down the list. Um, anyway, Bill Murray is like the saving grace of this film. Alec Baldwin is like the semi-saving grace. But it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. It's too bad. Really unfortunate. Truly unfortunate. Do an
1: HBO miniseries. That's
0: what he should do. That's what he should do. That's absolutely what he should do. All right, Mark. Um, let's see. We got classic movies. We got a ton of classic movies here to to plow through uh, in the last fifteen or so minutes. Um, uh, what should we? Uh, you know what? Here we got, we have some uh, Kino Lorber stuff from last week uh, left over. I'm going to go through this really quickly, and then uh, I will unleash you on on Barry Gordy's gift to the world. Um, Steve McQueen in the Reavers, which features one of the uh, this is 1969, features a uh, a very early but wonderful John Williams score. It is a western uh, ish kind of ish set in 1905. Uh, essentially, feels like a western. Mark Rydell directed this, and uh, you know, Mark Rydell, of course, would go on to do *On Golden Pond* and, and a few other wonderful things before he tanked his career with uh, uh, *For the Boys*. Um, this is based on a Faulkner novel, a lesser-known Faulkner novel, a less ostentatious and obnoxious Faulkner novel, and it is one of the last wonderful things that Steve McQueen did. So, I uh, I think you got to check this out. It also has Will Gear and Sharon Farrell in it. It's uh, it's a really sweet film. Um, also from the uh, Kino Lorber Classics Studio Classics line, The Revengers with Ernest Borgnine and Woody Strode. Uh, I love me a Woody Strode film. Daniel Mann directed this from 1972, right about the time that Westerns were on their way out. Uh, Ernest Borgnine, always wonderful. William Holden is wonderful in this as well. Uh, it, it's, a, just a, it's a good, solid kind of old-school Western bleeding into the, uh, the 1970s. The Couch Trip, oh my gosh. What a dreadful movie this is. Donna Dixon and her husband Dan Aykroyd share the screen with um, uh, Walter Matthau and uh, Michael Ritchie for some reason decided to do this. Uh, this is 1988. Michael Ritchie kind of had a thing going on again at the time because of the uh, the, um, the, 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 the Fletch films. The,
1: I love the Fletch films. I do too,
0: but this is not a Fletch film. Anyway, uh, yeah, this, this is just a really, really misbegotten film and uh, just should not... Shouldn't, should not have been made. So, uh, you know, that's Donna Dixon kind of killed her car- film career, but not that she cares. She's married to Dan Aykroyd. She was so hot. Can you believe that marriage is still lasting? I know. Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah, guess, who would have uh, said that Donna Dixon and Dan Aykroyd is the longest lasting marriage in Hollywood? Well,
1: who would have thought that Donna Dixon, who was like so smoking hot, one of the beautiful women of, of, of that era yeah. in terms of film, would wind up marrying a Ghostbuster?
0: Yeah, but but then it was like like eight years later. They got fatter and fatter. Yeah, but I that was the thing. Like eight years later, when you see them on red carpets, Donna Dixon is still just screamingly smoking hot just like she was on, uh, on uh, you know she was, she was on buddies. was on Buddies with, with uh, Tom Hanks and and she's still unbelievably gorgeous and Dan Aykroyd had put on like 175 pounds by that point and I thought no she's still going to leave him now because he's, he's not really making the he's not making the big movies anymore he's lost and, and that's me judging her thinking she's just some Hollywood bimbo who's just going to you know cavort from one star to the next to keep her career afloat and son of a gun she just gave up her career and she's just loving being, li- loving being married to Dan Aykroyd no matter how fat he gets it's unbelievable. God he is Dan Ackroyd. He,
1: he, he's he, he's got to be entertaining.
0: God bless them both, but what a, what a great couple that's turned out to be. I'm so impressed. Uh, and then Michael Ritchie also did Digstown, which was another misbegotten failure, although not as bad as the I, You know
1: trip. what?
0: I... I you kind of like this, I, I right? I kind of do. A lot of people do. James Woods and Lou, Lou Gossett Jr. Yeah, a lot of people kind of like this. Uh, it, it's, it's got a kind of funky vibe to it, a funky little heisty con man... Going on, I it never really worked for me. I but you know whatever that's just me. It's got a making of featurette on it and a little cross uh, promotional plug for the couch trip. And then lastly, uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful movie. This is La Sapienza by Eugene Green, uh, an unusual Kino Lorber release. This is not part of the Studio Classics line, but it is a it is a gorgeous Blu-ray. And uh, this is a uh, this is kind of a uh, it, it is a it's a you they, you basically take a trip to this city in Italy where these two guys uh are trying to put their lives back together again they're sort of trying to find some kind of meaning in life again they're sort of trying to have some sort of an existential they're sort of trying to escape their existential crisis and um the Without giving anything away, this refers in a way to a certain architectural wonder in Rome – that uh, that plays a part here, and it is uh, it is just one of these really really sweet. It's, it's a really just a, a really interesting movie, uh, worth discovering if you haven't heard of, if you haven't seen it, definitely try to check it out. Um, if you haven't heard of Eugene Green, there's an interview on here with him as well, and uh, it's a it's a really interesting, worthwhile, very lyrical film, La Sapienza by Eugene Green on Blu-ray.
1: We have to talk about. Um the Last Dragon, because you know how much I love uh, Motown and stacks <laughs> and all those great, cool record labels from the '70s and '60s and '80s. Barry, anyway, Barry Gordy. This is, uh, you know, what this—the uh, the, film is actually not just
0: the Last Dragon. It's Barry, Barry Gordy Gordy's the, the Last, Last Dragon, Dragon, which is to
1: say that the movie's backed by Motown Records, which means that Motown Records supplied a lot of the music. And not that it's not great music, but uh, you know, it's not a real—it's not a reason to make a movie because you happen to own the record company that's uh, providing the music. This is—it's um, not quite black exploitation, and it's not quite uh, good. It's about this—it's uh, about this this karate master. This it, our hero learns that he's like so good that the only thing that's left to be learned can only be found from
0: within. Oh yeah, I've so, heard of that.
1: So and and if you yeah. find, if he learns what he it needs to learn, happens once in a while. If he learns what he needs to learn, he will get the glow. No kidding. And you know what happens at the end of the movie? The guy glows like he's radioactive because he got the glow. Okay, that's how good he is as a karate master. Oh, so, look here's the thing. This is so it doesn't look it doesn't so take it, it doesn't take itself seriously. It's, it's kind of you know it's kind of funny. It's got a lot of high energy, it's totally a cult film, s- silly romance. It's it is very culty. So I have to say that if you like um, really cheesy movies from that era. I think you could do a lot of worse, actually. You you have to watch it like you watch Xanadu. Yeah. Right? A movie that you know is not Which very good. Which
0: it by five years. That's like right. You
1: know. But you know the movie's not very good. I mean, this is 1985, but you you know the movie's not very good, but you're sort of enjoying it on that level. Yeah. So I would give Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon just a really cheesy thumbs – up its own butt.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, got some uh, MGM limited edition collection releases here. They, of course, are released by Fox. Uh, these are all uh, MOD manufacture on demand DVD-Rs. Be aware of that when you get them. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a middling batch. Uh, Robert Englund in Dance Macabre. This is when Robert Englund was uh, trying to capitalize on the fact that he'd been Freddy and he was just doing, you know, uh, anything that came along. Uh, this was actually shot in uh, in the Soviet Union. This is 1992. It was right about the time that the the, the, the so basically that you know the Soviet Union collapsed. So this is one of the last, maybe the last American film shot in the in the Soviet Union before it became Russia again. And all of its surrounding republics, uh, and uh, it's it's uh, you know it'd be, it's basically a murder thing set around a, ba- a ballet school. It's you know uh, kind of standard. They shot there because it was cheap. Um, hey, Babu Riba is kind of a weird cult thing uh, from 1987. This is a, a coming of age thing that was set in 1953, uh, written and directed by Jovan Acin or Acin. And uh, I, I, it's a, it's a Yugoslavian film, uh, which of course is another country that doesn't exist anymore, and uh, presumably that you know Belgrade, which is now Serbia, so it would be a Serbian film today. But, um, you know, jo- 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 Jovan Achin, however you pronounce his name, has not really been a factor since. There were no other movies. But this one kind of uh, captured a moment. It felt like one of those coming-of-age American films set in the 1950s. And for that reason, it sort of crossed over. So, um, you know, Hey, Babu Riba has a cool title, too. It's easy to remember. Uh, Judd Nelson in Every Breath, uh, along with Joanna Pacula and Patrick Bishow, Um directed by Steve Bing, Mark. The same Steve Bing, same Steve Bing, who uh, is now basically a producer and is best known basically for. for he dated uh, Elizabeth Hurley. Elizabeth Hurley, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that Steve Bing directed this, and uh, it's it's really terrible. Uh, it's just it's one of these uh, wannabe noirs that just never really feels like a noir, and nothing ever and it ever really feels very urgent. But you know, Jud Nelson. Yeah, uh, he he co-wrote this thing with Steve Bing and Andrew Fleming, and they own it. So uh, there you go. Whatever happened to Brad Cravoy? By the way, he was a producer on this as well. Remember, he was producing. I remember and, that name. He produced everything at a certain point. Uh, two more here quickly from the MGM Limited Collection, uh, collection Edition, Limited Edition Collection. Sorry, uh, below the belt uh, is 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 okay. This is interesting. Um, this was made in 1980 film that completely escaped me at the time, but it's got an interesting little low-budget indie cast, including Shirley Stoller and and Dolph Sweet. You know, Dolph Sweet, who was on the uh, television series uh, with... uh, uh, Give Me a Break with uh, Nell Carter.
1: Oh, my God. I haven't thought about that show in years. I
0: know. Uh, Anyway, interesting little uh, uh, 1980s-era indie, which sort of is part of that whole uh, indie thing. Uh, And it all kind of dovetails into women's wrestling, which is something I'm particularly fond of, so that tells you why I've got a Dolph Sweet spot for that movie. You like that? Dolph Sweet, Sweet Spot. You like how I did that? I don't get it. I didn't even have to write that one. And then lastly, Madison with Jim Caviezel. Uh, and Bruce Dern this was uh from 2004 about a decade ago and it kind of feels like it uh you know there's a, anything to do with uh with racing always has kind of a marginal audience but somehow there's always somebody to carry these things over heart like a wheel the Jonathan Kaplan film uh is, is maybe my favorite one of those anyway uh this is this is um a, about hydroplaning so it's kind of like a drag racing movie and uh, it's got all the same uh, pros and cons to it, but uh, you know what? The, the only really bad thing about this is that it has Jake Lloyd in it, and Jake Lloyd is just the, the worst actor of all time. That poor kid. Uh, and this is around the time that he did that horrible Star Wars episode one. Uh, Star Wars episode one, and. Um, You know, not good. But anyway, Jim Caviezel is good. Mary McCormack is good. Paul Dooley is always wonderful. So uh, if the subject matter appeals to you, these are all from the MGM uh, limited edition collection on DVD-R, MOD, Manufacture on demand.
1: Oh, wait. Here's a movie that uh, I guarantee you have not heard of, but uh, it's got a cult following called Psycho Beach Party. Psycho Beach Party uh, is a love-it-or-hated kind of a parody about uh, movies from the 50s and 60s directed by a guy named uh, Robert Lee King, who con- uh, provides a commentary track on the uh, Blu-ray. It's based on a stage play by a guy named Charles Bush, and uh, it's about this, uh, this girl who loves to surf, lives in Malibu. She has a split personality, which becomes part of the humor. She becomes the uh, suspect uh, of, of, of a bunch of murders in Malibu. Um, don't worry about the plot. Just worry about the fact that uh, there's a lot of crazy humor, transvestite humor, which, you know, with Caitlyn Jenner, you know, the whole trans community, Sure, they're, they're in the news now. Sure, But really, this is before, uh, you know, this is way before the yeah. Caitlyn Jenner oh, of course. trans awakening we now yes. have. This is more yes. the silly, you know, divine, mm-hmm. hairspray, <laughs> John Waters sort of like, you know, trans treatment. But um, it's still kind of funny. You know, people really like this movie. You know, it kind of came and went, but it has a little bit of a cult following. So uh, maybe on Blu-ray it can be... Um, rediscovered psycho Beach party funny stuff just really wacky crazy unique stuff you know Robert Lee King didn't necessarily to uh, go on to have a career uh, that maybe uh, we would have liked especially after coming out with this but uh, yeah if you want to see something I guarantee you I've never seen before psycho Beach party
0: nice and then I'm gonna uh, we're gonna wrap out. With a uh, a listener mail uh, and uh, some Olive uh, no, no, mail, uh, some Olive titles really quickly. Olive keeps licensing great stuff, most of it from Paramount. Uh, Not all films that I necessarily like, but certainly all of them worth paying attention to. From 1995, Alicia Silverstone in The Babysitter has become kind of a little cult thing. Uh, Directed by Guy Fairland and written by Robert Coover. Uh, Good performance here by J.T. Walsh in particular for people who were uh, J.T. Walsh fans uh, and Alicia Silverstone fans. We also have The Sender, which is a uh, 1982 film with a better-than-average cast, Zelko Ivanik. And uh, Catherine Harold, uh you know, it's uh, it, it sort of a mid-level thriller from that period. Uh, Sidney Lumet's Daniel with Timothy Hutton was a really good film from 1983. This was his follow-up to The Verdict, uh, and Timothy Hutton was, you know, trying to sort of grunge it up after Ordinary People a few years later. Uh, Daniel is, of course, uh, based on the E.L. Doctorow novel, The Book of Daniel, uh, which is about the Julius and Ethel Rosenberg case, and it's a, a really underrated film. I, I think people were kind of ready to jump on Sidney Lumet at the time, but it's a really good film. And it's a powerful film.
1: Love Sidney Lumet. uh...
0: The Singing Detective with Robert Downey Jr. Believe it or not, from two thousand and three. Uh, I, I was not a huge fan of this, but I'm not a big fan of the source material, to be honest. And uh, with you know the the whole Dennis Potter thing. Even the original BBC series that this is based on didn't really do anything for me, and I thought this was a complete mess, even though I'm a huge fan of Keith Gordon as a director. Um, the same Keith Gordon, of course, who was in Christine and, uh, and Back to School, the Rodney Dangerfield film, has turned into a really good director, but he just doesn't do a lot uh, generally. And even though I think it's a really well... I, I give him all the credit in the world. He's not the problem here. It's just I don't care for the source material. But for those who do, it's out on Blu-ray. Uh, Last American Virgin... Not one of my favorite films, but people love it. It is a uh, it is a Golan Globus canon, 1982 classic. Uh, Boaz Davidson uh, wrote and directed it. People just remember this film for some crazy reason because it, I guess, captures the 80s. It's one of those classic sex comedies from the era. So knock yourselves out. But the one I love, and not because it's good, because it's terrible... Uh, but I do love it. This is, believe it or not, Mark, this is written and, produ- written and directed by Mickey Rose. But do you know who produced this film?
1: Uh,
0: Mickey Rose? Alan Smithy. <laughs> it's produced by Alan Smithy. Now,
1: I didn't realize that Alan Smithy was a PGA or producer. Not.
0: He's not. This is the only film produced by Alan Smithy. There are tons that have Alan Smithy directing credits. This is the only film with a producer Alan Smithy credit.
1: Now Alan Smithy is the DGA. It's the, approved pseudonym, the pseudonym. pseudonym when
0: you want to take your name off of a film. So uh, I don't know the story there. I've never been able to get to the bottom of the story. But I remember I was in uh, I was in uh, junior high school at the time this film came out. Uh, and went and saw it with uh, with a friend of mine, and we laughed ourselves to tears. This is essentially a pre-scream, uh, pre-all of those uh, horror film spoofs. This is the original horror film spoof, spoofing all the stuff, though all the slasher films from the, er, the the late '70s: Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, all that stuff, Slumber Party Massacre, all that junk that sort of came out in the in the late '70s, early '80s. This spoofs it. And it is outrageously funny. It is stupid. It is lowbrow. It is totally crude. When the guy is, you know, the, the voiceover of the killer is is totally ADR'd. It's, it's re- terribly dubbed. But when, he's cha- when he's, he wears galoshes, he chases them through the hallways of the schools. The jokes are obvious, but I still laugh at this thing. Because I was a, I was a dumb kid, and I saw it, and it made me laugh. But Student is a movie I never thought would ever make it to DVD or Blu-ray, is out on Blu-ray thank you, Olive, you have resurrected a part of my youth that I never thought would be resurrected.
1: Mickey Rose. Now, I believe Mickey Rose, isn't he the only guy ever to have a co-writer credit with Woody Allen? Oh, I don't know. Hang on for a second. Now, Mickey Rose got a, I think he got a co-writer credit on uh, Take Mar- the Money and Run. But really? Then it, but then, what's his name got a co-writer credit? Hang oh, on. Right. You, what are you doing? Is that a, is that it's listener? Ma- That's
0: our letter. That's our listener mail this week.
1: I, I hit the mic.
0: Yeah, I know. All
1: right, let me, let me check. There, there may be another one. Because I know Woody has not taken co writer credits very often.
0: No, not very often. You, you, you want me to vamp?
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking this up. Take what? the money and run.
0: Take the money and run. Well, read you read the thing. Okay, well, well the... okay, with well, the list of mail. All right, yeah. I'll go with it. Uh, hello there, Wade and Mark. My name is Deji. All the way from Nigeria. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Wade, why do you hate Zack Snyder so much? I can't believe even in Nigeria, I've I've my my obsessions have gotten there you've called him a hack a few times is this personal I think that's a bit of a hyperbole to call him a hack when Uwe Boll is still working second question do you think it's a good idea for studios to keep sticking their noses in the process of movie making taking away a director's power to express his or her artistic vision I ask this question mainly because of what Fox Studios did to Josh Trank as we now know the Fantastic Four movie we all saw was not Trank's movie thanks guys keep up the good work P.S. Mr. Major you should voice a villain in an animated movie God bless you guys I am thrilled that we are, we are known in Nigeria. Deji, thank you for, for the great email and uh, also being a part of the Facebook group, which I urge everyone to do. And by the way, send us Vox boxes and emails to gods at digigods.com, gods at digigods.com. Uh, to, so Deji, in answer to your question, no, I, Zach Snyder is Zack Snyder somebody that I, I just, I piled on basically after Sucker Punch because I hated that movie so much and I'm not a fan of him, particularly as a director. I think he's limited. But I think I pile on him more than Uwe Boll because he directs studio stuff. Because he's like a go-to guy when, you know, as we talked about last week, people like like um, you know uh, Lone Scherfig don't get work from studios, and they should, and they give it instead to you know the uh, to people like Zack Snyder because they talk a good game and they're good in the room, and uh, you know I'd like to see Zack Snyder really shouldn't be directing anything that shouldn't first go to somebody like Mimi Leader, frankly. So that's uh, that's part of my beef. I I just think there are better people out there. But for the second one. And I'm going to look into that animated movie uh, villain thing. I, 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 uh, that, that could be a really great second-life career for me. Uh, but the second part of it, uh, studios sticking their noses in the, in the creative uh, development of movies. They've always done it. They'll always do it. They do it more now than they used to because they're marginalizing. They're trying to get around having to deal with talent Uh, with having on-the-lot deals with directors and actors. They don't want to have to contract with people. They want to contract with ideas because if you're contracted with Martin Scorsese, he may die someday. He may, you know, uh, come up with a bad movie once in a while. But if Marvel is what you're using to brand yourself rather than talent... Then it's easier just to hire some hack who can be attached to the Marvel brand and nobody will really care. And what they want is for people to go to see a movie and not care who's in it or who directed it, but to care about the brand, the the franchise. That's what they're going for. And I think that's doomed to failure uh, because, you you know, Trank is really not an example of – he's an example of the latter, not the former. Trank is a guy who made kind of a mediocre independent film and went on to do a, a movie that was way outside his ability. I, I'm sure we'll see his version someday, but I can't imagine it's going to be very good and, and all that different. You have thoughts? I have many thoughts, Wade. Okay.
1: You know, I think that what happens is that there's this uh, there's this trend now to take these directors like Colin Trevorrow and Josh Trank. They come up with some independent film, and they suddenly give them $175 million and say, and say here, our next tentpole film. Well, Colin Trevorrow, who was just named the director of Star Wars 9, he – he obviously can handle it, but that doesn't mean everybody else can handle it. And while I'm sure that you know, you know, and the thing with the uh, uh, with the thing with Fox is that they're supposedly not very uh, director friendly with their tentpole stuff. And I don't think that Josh Trank had the talent or the temperament to do the film, just in general, let alone be under the thumb of Fox executives. So, you know, Trank I think is a guy who will wind up being. Temporarily, the exception to the rule. Although hopefully they'll go about and they'll find really qualified directors who are really good at these films, have a, have a flavor for the material, and give it to them, regardless of how cool they may seem to the fanboys, you know. And then what happens is you get something like Pixels, which was directed by Christopher Columbus, and Christopher Columbus is an old school guy, and he does Pixels and it tanks. So now, and so and that's not going anywhere. That's not going to be a perennial. You know, so You're now right. you get these studios thinking, you know, we, we give it to an old school, old school guy like Chris Columbus. He shanks it and we give Jurassic Park to, to Colin Trevorrow and he knocks it out of the park.
0: Nobody knows anything as William. Goldberg Nobody said. knows anything. So there it is. All right. With that, that's our show. Uh, the balcony is closed. The balcony closed. Oh, that's somebody else's. Oh, lap. That, I no, know. No, no.